welcome, welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by the boys. First in the 757, we have Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's going on, man? Enjoying a couple pieces of candy corn. I don't know like how y'all feel about candy corn, but it's September and I'm not a like giant fan of it, but I can enjoy a little bit here and there. I feel like candy corn is one of the major food groups. Candy, candy canes, <laughs> candy corn, and syrup. Mike McDaniel. You like the movie Elf, don't you? You're not, you're not a soulless person, are you? I of course I do. <laughs> I mean, how could you not? Every mom very in offended. the world <laughs> loves the movie Elf, so you, you kind of gotta love it. But regardless, we got a game to talk about. It didn't end well. Virginia Tech loses on the road in Morgantown in a game where somehow they were massively outplayed but should have won anyway. Alas, they did not, and we have plenty to say. But first, we got to say that this podcast is brought to you by the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number. And look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff We'll take care of everything you need. Well, gentlemen, disappointment is in the air. Virginia Tech, not a good showing in Morgantown. Lackluster offensively, a game that, I mean, basically Virginia Tech's offense couldn't have played any worse out the gate. And West Virginia's offense, I don't even want to give them too much credit because the blame really has to go on Virginia Tech's defense for early in the game. We'll get to what happened at the end with the missed opportunities in the red zone, I'm sure. But I'll just open the floor. Ricky, give us a little monologue action. This is probably one of the, I guess, more demoralizing games and losses that I think we've had in recent years. It's not it's not really ugly. Like, this isn't on par with, like, Duke in 2019 and – it's not on par with um, it, it, it's probably close to Liberty last year in, in terms of just overall, like the, the, the feeling of um, the feeling of, I guess, just frustration and um, e- e- irritation, I think is another, another good, another good word for this. Virginia tech should have won this game. Um, I, I don't think that anyone who watched the game can, can come to any other conclusion. I mean, West Virginia punched them in the mouth in the first three possessions and give them credit for that. But after that point, West Virginia's offense was largely ineffective and, uh, the Hokies were able to shore things up defensively, which was huge. Um, after halftime, West Virginia scored, just three points and totaled 89 yards on offense. Um, a lot of that was West Virginia just kind of playing like they were up by 50. But an, another part of it was Virginia Tech was able to secure things on the back end, and they kept the running game mostly in check. But this game all, all just comes down to the fact that Virginia Tech was wholly incompetent in the in the red zone. It was one of the probably one of the worst just offensive displays in the red zone I think I've ever seen. the The decision making, the um, the lack of creativity, um, 
the it, it was just a mess, man. Like you, you can't lack of execution. Yeah, like you, you can't run. I think it was what twelve plays from inside the ten, and get no points out of it. Six yards total. Yeah, I mean that's that's not going to cut it, guys. Like that's just that's embarrassing. That's like I don't know. Um, it's just really, really poor, um, really poor production from a group that we already know that they're limited. And when they get these opportunities, they've got to punch them in, you know, and we can probably, if we want, we can spend some time on the, the decision to go forward on fourth and one from the 25. I wasn't a fan of it. Uh, I, I understand the argument for wanting to go for it because if you can't get a yard, then you wonder what you're really doing there in the first place. But when you chase points early on like that, it puts you in positions like Virginia Tech was towards the end of the game where they needed touchdowns only and they, they, they didn't need it. They couldn't take any field goals. And when you combine the fact that Tech not only passed on a field goal chance early on which you know maybe now that we now that we look back and John Parker Romo can't kick from 24 yards I was going to say that maybe maybe that it's not a bad decision I don't know but anytime you start chasing points it kind of feels like you're you're behind the eight ball but overall Virginia Tech lost this game because they got punched in the mouth early on and they had a a, an awful uh, gap fit that cost them a huge run by Letty Brown and um, the secondary did not play particularly well. The pass rush was very unproductive for most of this game, if not the entirety of it. I think they registered just one sack. But you can chalk this game up entirely to the lack of production in the red zone and overall just lack of offensive effectiveness. And I, I have a feeling this is not going to be the first game this season that Virginia Tech loses in this fashion. Yeah, so my thoughts overall are very much the same as Ricky's. I mean, you can't be running 12 plays from inside the 10-yard line, come up with zero points, and come up with only six yards of offense, right? And Ricky and I, well, all three of us actually, were were texting right after the game on Saturday, and Ricky and I were kind of going back and forth about the fourth and one play where Tech elected to go for it. Um, Regardless of whether or not you agree that Tech should have gone for it or not gone for it, I hated the play call and I really just hated the play call in a lot of short yardage situations, to be quite honest with you. Yep. And, you know, a lot of times I think that criticizing an offensive coordinator is pretty low hanging fruit when plays just simply don't work. But I think in the game on Saturday, there are a handful of different situations where you can look at plays that were called and say, you know what, that is just blatantly the wrong play in this situation. The fourth and one at the 25 in the first half is a prime example. Virginia Tech had two tight ends in the game. They had two H-backs kind of lined up there. Everybody in the stadium knew that Braxton Burmeister was going to go right up the middle with it. And my whole thing is like, yeah, the offensive line should have blocked a little bit better. So Virginia Tech could have picked up a yard, but why not run something a little bit different rather than running your six foot two 190 pound quarterback right up the gut. Why not bring in a guy like Connor Blumrick in that situation? Because at least if everybody in the stadium knows that you're running it right up the gut, at least you have your bigger bodied quarterback in 
Virginia Tech ran that play against Middle Tennessee State where they had Blumrick in the game. He either went right up the gut or, you know, they had sweep action and it worked very well. Now, I understand different opponent, not as good of a defense, but I didn't understand why Blumrick wasn't used there. I didn't understand why they went away from Blumrick at the goal line. Um, There were a lot of questions that I had about the situational play calling. Another thing I wanted to bring up to with Cornelson in regards to, to specifics with, you know, some of the concepts that were run. I hate the bootleg by the goal line. Okay. I understand the argument that Virginia Tech's offensive line wasn't blocking very well and got, Hell, it wasn't front. even a bootleg. It was just a straight rollout. And I hate it because the way I look at this is if you're at like midfield and you're running a bootleg or a rollout, I understand it on a number of levels because one, it eases the burden on the offensive line to hold their blocks and pass protection. And it's an easy read for the quarterback, right? You go back to front, you got your receiver deep, you got a receiver running shallow. And then your third read is to tuck it and run. If you're Burmeister, which he's quite effective at, right? So I'm okay with that being an easy read for the quarterback in the scheme of that play. I hate it by the goal line you're already in a, in a scenario by the goal line where you have a lot of guys and not a lot of space. And on fourth and goal, you're running that rollout play and there's no safety valve for Burmeister. So it's basically one read by the goal line. And then you got absolutely nothing to play dead on a play. You absolutely need to score on. And that's after the jet sweep jet sweep near side drives me insane with players, not named James Mitchell drives me insane. James Mitchell is the only guy who, made that play effective and he's not playing anymore this year. So I don't understand the rationale. They're running that play by the goal line. Brad Cornelson outsmarted himself in this football game with some of his offensive play calls. And it's again, it's low hanging fruit to criticize the offensive coordinator, Virginia tech. There's a lot of reasons why Virginia tech lost this game. The defense dug tech into a hole early. Letty Brown goes right up the middle on a play that Dax Hollyfield was schemed out of. It was a great play call by West Virginia. They ran a guy in motion. Hollyfield went with him. And then the middle of the field was wide open. West Virginia opens up a gaping hole and Letty Brown goes untouched 80 yards for a touchdown, right? West Virginia scores on the very next drive. And before you sit down and crack open your beer, Virginia Tech's down 14-0. So the defense sticks Virginia Tech into a hole early. The offense did respond. It took until a third possession to respond. But then you're down 14-7 and you don't convert that fourth down that Ricky alluded to earlier, right? Where it's fourth and one at the 25 and you're chasing points early. John Parker Romo's got to make the field goal late in the first half. Terrell Smith can't be jumping off sides for a false start penalty. He did that twice, three times. Three. And Virginia Tech had a lot of issues that went outside of the situational play calling by Brad Cornelson. They also won the turnover battle and they still lost. Yes, and everybody's saying fire Cornelson, do this, do that. Um, Cornelson was an issue in this game. In my personal opinion, he wasn't the issue in this game. Virginia tech did a lot of things before the final possession, right. To put themselves in a hole defense didn't play well early. Uh, Burmeister. I didn't think played particularly well in this football game. His, His stats say otherwise, but um, he didn't really go through his progressions and didn't have time to because the offensive line got whipped up front. Uh, losing the game in the trenches, especially with your offensive line, was huge. Yeah. Right side of the offensive line was terrible. Um, Tech dug themselves out of the hole and didn't quit and played their worst game of the season for four quarters. 
couldn't couldn't have been more inconsistent the entire game. Still had themselves in a position to win the football game, and now everybody's going to sit here and complain about Brad Cornelson. All valid, by the way. It's a, they're valid complaints, but there's a lot of things that went wrong before that final drive that put Virginia Tech in that situation to begin with. Virginia Tech is now last in the ACC and 127th nationally in red zone conversions through three games. That is abhorrent. That needs to be fixed. Yeah, and that's the kind of stuff that comes down to coaching. And look, I know that the criticisms about Brad Cornelison at large over the course of the past few years have somewhat been unfounded insofar as you can look at Virginia Tech stats on a national basis, but in the ACC with those offensive numbers and under Cornelson, they have been kind of good. I mean, an upgrade in most statistical categories as compared to his predecessors in the Beamer era. But that being said, it's a theme. Right. With Cornelson, yes, the offensive scheme might work, but the situational play calling time and time again has not. And yes, this is football. Sometimes you can call the right play and get the wrong result. Sometimes you can call the wrong play and it ends up working out anyway. But those red zone numbers are terrible. And you can think back to seasons past trying to, you know, put your foot on the throat of Miami last year at Lane Stadium in a COVID year in a game that they were massive underdogs had the lead and couldn't do it because the play calling was too conservative. It seems like, you know, in, in the first quarter in the open field, many of the times, yes, Brad Cornelson's offense is flying, but he shrinks as a play caller, at least his offense does during these pivotal moments in the game. Short yardage. Short yardage. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I, I understand that we don't run the ball from under center because that's yep. just the way that it is. Right. I'm not so sure why that has to be the way that it is. Spend 25 minutes of practice once a week, practicing a QB sneak up the middle. And it at least gives you options and gives the opposing team something else that they have to think about. Yeah. Because think- why are we running four yards to get it two inches? It doesn't make any yeah, sense. It doesn't shot shotgun on fourth and short will never make sense to me. And well, that's, I mean, that <laughs> drives me crazy. That is one of the issues with the spread offense is that, most schools that run the spread just do not have under center in the playbook. And when you don't have under center in the playbook, or you don't even have pistol sets that you can run out of, it does limit what you can do down in the red zone. And in, in, in terms of the interior run game and um, yes, techs tech, just there, you know, like I, I, I thought there were some instances against middle Tennessee and against West Virginia, where Virginia tech did a good job of getting their playmakers in space because that's becoming what football is now, right? Get your guys in space, let them make guys miss and let them get yards after the catch. I thought I saw that a little bit against West Virginia, but when you're in the red zone, they're not creating separation at all. They're not getting their guys in positions to be successful. And yep. I think Fuente semi alluded to that today while trying to defend Brad Cornelson, he said, quote, I would respond that it is our job to put our guys in the best situation. We've got to get better at that. Their execution is our responsibility, and we've got to get better at that. But I would also say there's nobody better at ironing out the minutia it takes to give our guys a chance to be successful than Brad, um, end quote. So I think, I think Fuente understands that they've got to get better there, but – at a certain point, understanding it's just not good enough. Right. And this this team 
given how bad the conference is, and we'll probably talk more about that next on, on the next pod. When we I don't get, envision we'll have a whole hour and a half to waste on Richmond. So yes, we can kind of go. Yeah. yeah like base. next week we can really get into kind of the, the ACC as a whole when we make our picks. Cause the ACC is just basically a, a wasteland right now. Dumpster fire. And there are, I don't think that there is a game on Virginia tech schedule that isn't winnable. Yeah. So if Virginia tech wants to take advantage of a poor schedule, you've got to be competent on offense and they're just not that competent right now. There's no semblance of consistency, but I want to go to the beginning of the game, right? We talked in the middle Tennessee state game recap about how vanilla the offense was. And there was sort of a prevailing notion amongst the fan base, amongst pundits that maybe they're saving some stuff for West Virginia, but they go into that, you know, initial set of 10 scripted plays or whatever the actual number may be. And, you know, they get one first down in the first series. Of course, they ultimately have to punt it away. West Virginia immediately scores. Virginia Tech gets the ball back. And it seemed like the entire screen game, the throwing the ball laterally, just was exactly what West Virginia had prepared for. I mean, every single play the, the ball carrier or the receiver for Virginia tech, what have you was getting gobbled up. So in terms of the vanilla nature of this offense, maybe it opened up a little bit towards the end of the game when Virginia tech was having a little more success. Is this offense just vanilla with Braxton Burmeister as the quarterback? Is that something that we, we as Virginia tech fans are going to have to learn to accept? It's limited. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a limited quarterback. I've been saying this for two years now. I mean, you, we can sit here and argue about whether or not Hendon Hooker, Braxton Burmeister is better, but ultimately both of them are limited and both of them are only going to be able to execute certain concepts effectively and other things there is just not in their wheelhouse. And this was the issue when we were back in what January looking at this quarterback room and we're like, okay, Tech needs to find a way to bring in some legitimate competition for Braxton Burmeister. And the decision was to add a wide receiver who used to play quarterback and put a single, put a single digit on him and let him go play quarterback. And that's what you're left with now with Braxton Burmeister being far and away the best option at quarterback, but still inherently and sometimes fatally flawed. Yeah, I um, when I look at this offense, there's a lot to like from a schematic standpoint. The issue is what Virginia, the issue that Virginia Tech runs into, is that not only is Burmeister limited, but a lot of the playmakers on offense are limited. Trey and Turner being numero uno. So that's where I was going to go next. The wide receivers for Virginia Tech cannot, through three games, gain any semblance of separation in press coverage. Not consistently, anyway. Um, everybody's begging, okay, uh, let, let Burmeister throw it down the field. You know, downfield passing game, this downfield passing game, that. A couple problems there. Number one, offensive line can't hold blocks. Number two, when they can hold blocks, the receivers aren't getting open. And number three, sometimes when the receivers are open, Burmeister, Burmeister either <laughs> doesn't see them or misses them. 
So there's a lot going on there that if I'm Brad Cornelson, I look at this and I say, you know what? I don't have a ton of confidence that that's going to be successful more than once every seven or eight plays. So then that's what they do. They run it once every seven or eight plays. The fan base is screaming for the downfield passing game. It's not that easy, guys. It's not that easy. And the coaching staff knows it, right? And you can disagree with it all. You can disagree with what I just said. You can disagree with the coaching staff and how they're calling the game, but they're calling it that way for a reason. Do they get conservative at times? Of course they do. Absolutely. Brad, Brad Cornelson gets way too conservative. It was a huge problem on Saturday. And his downfall or his fatal flaw, I guess, as an offensive coordinator is his situational play calling. His scheme works. If his scheme didn't work, Virginia Tech wouldn't be set in school records and total yards and all these counting stats. That's not the issue with Cornelson's offense. The issue with Cornelson's offense is when push comes to shove, when you need a first down, when you need a score, right? When you need a big play, can you get that on a consistent basis? Yeah. And the answer right now is no. Yeah. Well, and again, he might be a good scheme offensive coordinator for sure, but ultimately this is an industry of college football coaching where you're ultimately judged on wins and losses. And unless you plan on blowing every team out of the water, games are going to be won and lost in the moment where you're going to have to come up with a good situational play call. So here's my question though, with this offense, you have a limited quarterback with situational upside. You have wide receivers that, as Mike previously mentioned, unable to get separation. The running game hasn't gotten going yet, and a big part of that is due to the fact that the offensive line has certainly taken a step back. Your best receiving option, you know, James Mitchell, who is certainly your best red zone target, is done for the season. I know I just painted a very negative light on that, but given what we know, and Virginia Tech is who they are, and we're not going to add any players, and it's hard to imagine certain players getting a world better here in late September going into the big stretch of the season. So what does an ideal version of the Virginia tech offense look like? <laughs> that's, that's the million dollar question, Andrew. I have no freaking clue. Like Mike touched on it. Tech's right side of the offensive line got manhandled in this game. Brock Hoffman ended up over there towards the end and did his best he i mean he, he was I, I i give him an a for effort man like he's yeah. he he was fighting out there but the guy's not a tackle like it's just it's obvious and um it's it's a shame that virginia tech has no depth at right tackle to the point where they've got to put their center over there um so that's you know something to to throw away for another podcast um tech's got a got to find a way to probably run the ball better. Um, I, I don't really know what the answer is. I think Jalen Holston is a competent running back. I think he has the ability to make a play here and there. Uh, but ultimately they're, they're going to have to find a way to, to get the ball moving on the ground. And this is where it goes back to the conversation we seem to have all the time is, are they going to involve Braxton Burmeister in the design run game? You know, Fuente talked today about how he didn't think that Burmeister missed any chances to run with the football on those reads, which would lead us to believe that they weren't reads in the first place. They were just, right. they were just designed handoffs to the running back. And, um, you know, tech's going to have to make the decision of, okay, well, do we want to risk, putting Burmeister in harm's way by, you know, having him run the football on read options and veers 
you know, more often, or do we want to continue to try and make him available for 12 or 13 games? Right. And deal with the consequences. And the fan base um, drives me crazy. The fan base drives me crazy with this because it'll be like, all right, well, we don't want him taking any hits. And then they complain with the offense is conservative. Right. So like what it, being being aggressive with your offensive play calling doesn't just mean being aggressive in the passing game. It means being aggressive in the running game, too. Right. And a yeah. lot of Virginia Tech's running game right now is Braxton Burmeister. Now the running back, again, I, I like the way that Holston has run the ball this year when he's had his opportunities, obviously made a big play in the passing game on Saturday, um, but ran the ball hard, even though Virginia Tech was getting absolutely obliterated up front for most of the game. Holston ran pretty hard. Um, and, and I like how he's looked. And overall, I think Virginia Tech has been spreading the wealth enough um, with, with Burmeister and with the running backs to obviously not replace, uh, even come close to replacing Khalil Herbert's production but to make their offense look balanced enough to give them opportunities in the passing game. There's just a little, it's just like a little bit of something off, right. In all phases, both passing the ball, running the ball, offensive line. It's just a work in progress right now. I think, I I think the offense will get better because usually they do over the course of the season. I'm not sure they're going to get a lot better though, which is why I think the defense is going to have to just continue to stand on its head because otherwise Virginia Tech's going to have a hard time winning football games. Lucky for them, though, like you mentioned, Ricky, the ACC is just a dumpster fire right now. Yeah, but isn't that the story, though, Mike? On the pregame show for this game, I I mentioned to you, Virginia Tech's offense is very similar to a lot of the criticisms that used to be bestowed upon the Baltimore Ravens, that the way the offense was set up, if they go down early in a game, it's just not designed for them to make a big comeback and you lean on your defense in a big way. Of course, a missed gap here by Dax Hollyfield, Letty Brown's off to the races. You go three and out again, and then suddenly West Virginia finds themselves in the end zone. You're down 14 zip, you know, less than seven minutes into the game. And it ultimately proved to be too much of a hill for this Virginia Tech offense to crime, even when the defense did sure up a little bit. I'm not sure. You know what, though? And I agree with the overall premise. This offense is definitely not built to play from behind. So I'm not, I, I'm not arguing that, but I look at this offense and it's not that they weren't built to get back in the game because they did. It was, they had to finish and they couldn't, they couldn't, I mean, they had it, they were in position, but they just couldn't get it done. Rick, what do you think? Tech's offense it has a ceiling and they're just about hitting it at this point. I don't think the offense is going to get much better, if any, any better at all, throughout the rest of the season. Um, Burmeister is just an injury waiting to happen at this point, unfortunately, and I don't have an issue with Virginia Tech trying to keep him available as long as possible because Lord knows I don't want to see this offense with Knox Kadem under center or, excuse me, behind center. I, I don't think that that's going to be a, a very good uh, a very good alternative. But Mike said it best. Everything is going to depend on this defense standing on their head. I mean, they're going to have to they're going to have to keep their their oppose their opposing offenses to three or four scores tops, and anything more than that. And Virginia Tech's just not going to have a chance. Uh, this offense is inherently limited and. I don't think they'll be as bad as they were in the red zone again this season, but I'm also 
not going to say that they're, you know, that, that the red zone offense is going to get to the point where they are efficient. I, I could certainly see these red zone issues continuing. And if they do, that's just going to put even more and more pressure on a Virginia tech defense that again, played better in the second half, but for the second straight week, the pass rush was far less noticeable and we saw some really bad linebacker play. Dax Hollyfield had an awful first half. Even if you exclude the the Letty Brown touchdown run, you have to. He you have to running. with that play. But overall, I agree. yeah, he yeah. Like, so good. even yeah, even if you exclude that play, he was running himself out of gaps. Yep. All the time, and yep. I even tweeted about it. I was like, you know, I, I really want to see Keyshawn Artist. I'm like, I'm I'm tired of watching Dax run himself out of plays. Um. So Tech's defense is just going to have to carry the load. This is going to be, you know, those those Virginia Tech teams of the uh, early 2000s, mid 2000s, where the the formula to winning is we have to rely on the defense to be exceptional, and we have to hope that the offense takes care of the football and scores enough points. And it's it's frustrating that after a game against Middle Tennessee State. Justin Fuente makes a comment that basically tells you what this offensive ceiling is for the rest of the season. And he, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something along the lines of, I don't think we're a team that can blow anybody out. And if you can't blow out middle Tennessee state, and I know Rick Stockstill is an amazing coach, One of the but best. it's just not going to happen. <laughs> it's it's, not, it's not going to happen against anyone else for the rest of the season. I don't care if it's Duke. I don't care if it's Virginia who just gave up almost 60 to Carolina. It's, it's not going to happen. All right, getting back to that pass rush point, I mean, this is a team that sacked Sam Howell five times. We went into this game knowing that Jared Dogie was six. – Six times, excuse me. And we know this was a team in West Virginia where Jared Dogie was essentially the polar opposite of a mobile quarterback. <laughs> and the name of yeah, the game statue. was going to be winning in the trenches, getting to him, pressure every play forcing him to make mistakes or at least, you know, less than ideal throws, keep the Hokies in the ball game and make up for what would be a lackluster offense. It simply didn't happen. Has this defensive line taken a big step back? Was week one against North Carolina a fluke, something where they just took the entire summer to scheme against North Carolina's offense correctly and we can't expect it again? Because this was a game where I really expected Virginia Tech's defensive front to win the game for them, and frankly, they didn't. There's film on Barno now. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're getting to the point where they're going to tell Virginia tech to say, okay, beat us with the three other guys. Yep. Beat us Barno. with Josh Fuga, beat us with Mario Kendricks, beat us with Taiwan Garbett and Eli Adams, but you're not going to beat us with Amari Barno. And they, he, he's been neutralized quite effectively Completely. these last two games. Completely. He has not recorded a stat in two consecutive games. I mean, it's, it's stunning and it's, it's almost impossible because even if you're, if you're being schemed against, like he is, it's still pretty crazy. He hasn't even recorded like half a tackle. It's wild. Yeah. He's being schemed for, and Garbutt's been pretty good. Um, he's been better than I anticipated. He did have a sack in this game. A uh, strip sack, huge play. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's been largely very good. Obviously he was a monster against Carolina and, Played well enough against Middle Tennessee at the big play on Saturday against West Virginia. But as far as the, the pass rush, you know, disappearing or, or being neutralized, I, I think it's a little too early to tell. 
I mean, I, I think what we can take away from the last couple of weeks in particular is that Virginia Tech's defensive line is being uh, better prepared for by its opponents. I think that the uh, game that they had and the success they had against Sam Howell in North Carolina's veteran offensive line, regardless of if you think they're good or not, it was laden with veterans, caught a lot of people by surprise and caught the attention of a lot of Virginia Tech's opponents. And you're seeing it with Barno. Um, he's being schemed up very well against in particular on that left side. So, I mean, the way, the way I look at this is I think Virginia Tech's pass rush will be serviceable enough. You know, I, I don't expect Barno to go many weeks where he doesn't record a sack. I think it's kind of unlucky on one hand, but also a testament to him being blocked and well blocked. Um, but I, I think Virginia Tech's pass rush will be good enough. And I, I don't think they're elite by any stretch, but I think they'll be good enough and serviceable enough. And it's early, but we'll find out if I'm right or wrong one way or another here in the coming weeks. Tech needs him to get, get it going. I mean, this, this defense has some really good players. Jermaine Waller's playing out of his mind. I think at a corner, Shamari Connor's not having a great season in pass coverage. I don't care that he won ACC defensive back of the week in game one against Carolina. He's been definitely targeted a lot as the nickel. Uh, Tay Daly is, I think, a, a very competent player, but he's definitely been uneven. Nasir Peoples has not had the kind of success and production that he had week one against Carolina. And Dax Hollyfield, again, I know he finished with 10 tackles in this game and he did have a sack, but Dax has got to be better in the linebacker spot. Ultimately, this this tech defense is still pretty decent and I, I, they're, they're definitely going to be the best unit of the two for the remainder of the season. But, you know, we're at the point now where I think we're asking a lot of this defense and it's probably unfair to, to ask them to be as good as they're going to need to be for the rest of the season. But that's just how it is. Tech's not going to get very far if they don't play exceptional football. Yeah, and on the offensive side, this ties into a defensive point, I promise. On the offensive side, because the defense has to play so well and give the Hokies an opportunity on offense to really be productive, the offense then in turn has to be perfect situationally. Yeah. The issue is that I don't think they've recruited well enough and have the players to make up for the gap when they are not situationally perfect. And I think Saturday was a great example of that. So regardless if you put on execution or recruiting or, you know, the plays themselves, I mean, what it comes down to is Virginia tech needs to be better situationally on offense to give their defense number one, some breathing room with points on the scoreboard, but number two, just to keep drives alive. I mean, it doesn't always have to be in the red zone, right? It doesn't have to be at the end of the game situation for the Hokies to be situationally good, right? It has to be on third and short. It has to be on second and long. You know, it has to be in the red area, obviously. Um, a lot of different facets of the offense need to get better to give this tech defense a chance to withstand 12 games. Because if not, the defense is going to wear out in the second half of the year, especially with all the road trips tech has to make. Like, there's a lot. Yeah, even though the ACC is not very good, there's – a lot of uncertainty in the second half of the schedule because the way Virginia Tech is playing right now on both sides of football, it's not complimentary at all. Well, it comes down to the fact that, as Ricky mentioned before, 
Justin Fuente said this isn't a team that is designed or an offense that is necessarily capable of blowing anybody out. And that's just going to put an immense amount of pressure on the defense throughout the season. But I want to go down to that last thing you mentioned with the red zone offense, because that's what people are going to take away from this game. That's what people are going to remember. 14 points that were let up early and the inability to close the game out when they had the chance to do so at the end. The play calling in the red zone. Was it poor play calling, lack of execution? And I know like none of us claim to be big X's and O's guys, but what would you have done differently if you had the opportunity to, you know, change the situation? I wish I could get guys to block better, but yeah, <laughs> I don't think yeah. that's gonna I don't think that's gonna work. Um there were a couple instances where Trey Turner had one on one looks um in 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 situations where they could have thrown a fade ball. Just kind of philosophically, I'm not a huge fan of that throw because I don't think the the completion rate on it is very high. That Low percentage. Being, that being said, Virginia Tech's red zone percentage zero, basically. So you might as well give it a chance in a one-on-one matchup. Trey Turner's shown the ability to make some of those plays in, in some of those instances. So I would I would look at that. Um I, I had a I had a kind of a an joyful interaction with uh House and Gaines on Twitter during the game uh when uh House was basically saying run the Chris Cunningham play. And for those of you that were, were tech fans in 2016, which is probably all of you. Uh, Chris Cunningham caught like six balls that year and five of them were for touchdowns and they were all in the red zone. And it was basically Chris Cunningham running just like a, an out route to the sideline from the tight end spot and tech would run play action and he would be always be open. And uh, I haven't seen that play in the playbook since 2016. I feel like that play has been permanently erased from Brad Cornelson's memory like th- th- there has to be some creativity in getting your bigger guys open in the red zone. We saw that in 2016 with a guy like Chris Cunningham, who with all due respect is not a, a not a highly productive player before that Chris Cunningham limited. was limited. Yeah. Chris Cunningham w- was a, was the definition of a limited tight end. And I think we can all agree that Nick Gallo and Drake Dulius are also limited tight ends, but if you find ways to get them open, whether it be rub routes or bringing them across the formation, getting them involved in play action, getting them involved in throwback screens, I don't really know what the answer is. I'm not a football coach, but I think I've seen enough football to know that Virginia Tech is not giving themselves enough options in the red zone. It seems like they've only got two or three things that they're going to run in the red zone. Regardless, it'll be an inside zone. It'll be a, a, a quarterback read or it'll be a fade ball and that's it. And there are other ways to score in the red zone. And we see it every week, whether it be in college or the NFL. You forgot one of the token plays of Virginia tech in the red zone, the jet sweep. Oh, Which... well, yeah, well, I, I don't want to see the near side jet sweep ever again in my so, life. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, so Andrew, you mentioned, you asked about, you know, was it execution? What was it? I mean, it's both. It's both. And, and, you know, Tech had some stuff go against him. The ball to Tavion Robinson that got tipped at the line that, you know, was ruled incomplete, but, you know, it was going to be ruled whatever way it was called on the field. It was too close. You couldn't tell. Um, if that ball's thrown a little bit earlier by Burmeister, we're not even worried about it. It's a touchdown. Yep. Um, he waited too long to throw that ball. That's why it got tipped at the line of scrimmage. Um, 
but on the running play on that jet sweep on third and goal late, West Virginia was over. I mean, I looked at this this morning because I was, you know, I'm maniacal. There's something wrong with me. West Virginia was overloaded to the strong side of the field. There were literally too many guys for Virginia Tech to block. They should have checked out of that play. It was never going to work. Saw the same thing. How could you not? <laughs> like, how could you not? Like, there was, there were too many West Virginia defenders to block on that side of the field. Like, what was Virginia Tech going to do? So Turner ran into a wall. Ricky, like you mentioned, like, they need to block better. 100%. I mean, the, the play got blown up in the backfield, but regardless... West Virginia was overloaded on that strong side. Like it didn't have a great chance of working anyway. And uh, on, on the fourth down play, I've already kind of expressed my disdain for it. Running a straight out rollout or bootleg or whatever you want, whatever we want to refer to it as down by the goal line. I hate that because there's already not enough room to operate anyway. There's a lot of defenders in a Especially small area. Especially when you run it to the near side. Like exactly. If you're, if you're running it to, to the field side, you at least Fine. have more room for your players to generate separation. But right. By the time Braxton Burmeister finally gets into his reads on the design rollout, the f- you're basically playing with a, a third to a quarter of the field. Right. And it's already a, a tight area because you're running it from inside the five. And the, and the field side for Burmeister, because of where Virginia Tech was positioned on the field going into fourth and goal, he would have had to make a throw across his body. So it's not a favorable position if you're Cornelson looking at it. It's not a favorable position to put your quarterback in, even if there is more room to operate over there, right? So... It's just a combination of things. And I, I didn't agree with the play calling. I thought it was poor all game. It wasn't everybody wants to point to the red zone at the end because that's, that's what cost Virginia Tech the game. But there were other areas throughout the game where short yardage situations were an issue. And that's why Virginia Tech was in the position they were in late in the game. Um, I basically, everybody wants to take that micro view on that like two or three plays, like right by the goal line at the end. But on a macro level, this was an issue for Virginia Tech for the entirety of the football game in short yards. It's, it's more than two or three plays. It's like 12 plays where exactly. no points were scored in the, within the five-yard line. That's what I'm saying. That's like, what I'm saying. And, and, you know, credit to the defensive line of West Virginia, and I guess pull some credit away from Virginia Tech's offensive line, who just got beat on every single play. You took away the inside run, and what's the alternative? You run to the – you know, you try to get to the outside, and which is ultimately why it's inexcusable that you can't – try to audible out of that when clearly West Virginia lined up knowing exactly what Virginia tech was going to do. <laughs> it was a play that was doomed to fail from the start as a coaching staff who desperately needs wins. They desperately need to do well this season and to not be able to try to get them to check out into something else. Just, I mean, it, it, it seems the word isn't short-sighted. It, it just seems like lackadaisical or, or something, or just like your head's in a, the clouds and you're not watching how the other team's lining up in principle going in. Maybe it wasn't the worst idea in the world, but to exactly what you guys said before and, and with the Chris Cunningham thing, James Mitchell, your best red zone target is gone. Your offensive line is clearly limited. You have a limited quarterback. Your running game with the offensive line is going to leave a lot to be desired at times. Their job as coaches right now is to create situations where your limited players can thrive. And they didn't do that. They went right to the book as if they had James Mitchell and Khalil Herbert. And it, unsurprisingly, it didn't work. 
those guys aren't there. Christian Derrissaw is not there to pull out and kick out the dude, and it's going to be an automatic touchdown. It's just not going to happen. So regardless, I guess one more thing I want to touch on is John Parker Romo. I mean, one for three on field goals. Both of the missed ones were very makeable ones. One, I mean, obviously you can only go through the game so much and say, well, it would have been a completely different situation because you never know what's going to happen afterwards if he does make it. But nonetheless, both those field goals could have been very important. He missed them both. Is special team something that now we really have to worry about for the rest of the year? We can joke. I mean, we, we were making the joke. I mean, Ricky made the joke off the top saying, well, maybe. I mean, in hindsight, you know, he missed a short field goal anyways. It didn't end up mattering uh, that, you know, <laughs> they went forward on fourth down. But, I, I mean, obviously, Virginia Tech going forward on fourth and one, I don't think had anything to do with their confidence in Romo from that distance. He made a field goal of, of 40 of forty plus yards in the North Carolina game. So, and they obviously ran him out there, you know, um, late second quarter to try to get him to make a field goal that he missed. Is it going to be an issue? Yeah. It is. And, and we've been spoiled to a degree because Joey Sly was a good kicker for Virginia Tech. Brian Johnson, obviously, last year, a very good kicker. Um, and, and John Parker Romo is not, um, at least in, in the small sample size of this season, has not been the guy to kind of be measured up against those two kickers, right, in terms of success and um, what he's capable of doing. Is it going to be an issue? I mean, yeah, when Justin Fuente is coming out in the Monday press conference and saying, yeah, we got to reevaluate kicker. I mean, yeah, it's, it's going to be an issue. It's definitely going to be an issue. Special teams in general, I think for Virginia Tech, aside from these two missed field goals, I think special teams have been pretty good. Um, we haven't given up a ton of big plays in, um, in, in uh, the return game, like from a defensive standpoint. Raheem Blackshear had a great return in this football game. Um, I think Peter Moore has been fantastic as a punter. I, we're, we haven't talked about him much, but he was very good again on Saturday, I thought, for the most part. And he's been good through the first couple of games of the year. So Peter Moore is going to be a very good punter for Virginia Tech. And that, I don't think that's an issue really we need to worry about all year long. But yeah, I think the kicking game could be a little bit of a problem. Virginia Tech is averaging four yards per punt return so far this year. And they have only allowed two punt returns. So that to me shows a good combination of the punter not out kicking his coverage and the, and the coverage is sound. So I'm not really worried about the punt unit, although there have been a couple times where it looks like they're getting, they're flirting with a block and Lord knows Virginia tech can't, can't afford that the um, reverse beamer ball. Yes. So yeah, unfortunately the kicking game is, specifically place kicking is going to be an issue. Um, that does not bode well for an offense that needs points. However, they can get them. Uh, they really can't afford to be giving away points like that. Um, not many offenses can, and Virginia Tech is certainly among them. So John Parker Romo is going to have to figure it out. I know Brian Johnson struggled a little bit early on in his career with some with some kicking before he really started to find the stroke and, and all of a sudden was able to get himself a shot in the NFL. I'm not saying John Parker Romo is going to get the same kind of shot, but, you know, Shebist has been pretty good with the kickers in his time in at, at Tech, and overall he's been pretty good with the special teams units. Maybe the return units after Greg Stroman, not so much, but the, in terms of kick coverage and punt coverage, Tech's been really good there. And uh, obviously Sly, Brian Johnson, Oscar Bradburn, all three of them were very, very good punters and kickers. So you would think that he would be able to get Parker Romo ready to go, but I guess we'll see. 
last thing I got for you guys, Silas Jancy goes down. Obviously, the offensive line, somewhat of a mess afterwards. Tyrell Smith, despite the age, despite the experience, really couldn't get out of his own way. Gets beat. Costly penalties. As Story of his career. As you meet pre, or as you mentioned previously, uh, Brock Hoffman has to move to tackle. It's kind of a mess. Yeah. How important is it that we get this guy back before Notre Dame, before the ACC well, stretch of the schedule? Well, very important. Um, the reason why Tech was even in a more precarious situation than usual is Parker Clements hurt himself in practice last week and didn't make the trip. So um, it, it's going to take a, a couple of injuries to tackles before we get to – I mean, I mean, look, Virginia Tech, from a depth standpoint, offensive line, they had, they've had good players transfer out of the program, right? So depth is an issue at the tackle spot on the right side. Yeah, we, one we of them about played that. pretty well for West Virginia. And one of them played, yeah, Nestor was good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, it's it's going to take a while before we get to Brock Hoffman at right tackle. Again, it sounds like Clements and Jancy, at least yesterday in, in the Sunday workout, which we know is not a real practice, uh, but they were back at the facility yesterday working out. Um, but Fuente said he's not sure who's going to play right tackle against Richmond. Ultimately, I don't really care because it's Richmond and whoever you run out there better be better than the, the defensive end on that side of the field. Um, and, and Virginia Tech then has a bye week. So as long as these aren't catastrophic injuries, you do have some time to get some guys healthy on the right side of the offensive line. But they really need to get that right before you get the, the stretch in October where you don't really have a bye week the rest of the season. So they got to figure it out. I'm going to propose an unorthodox solution, and I have no idea if this is even a good idea, uh, but part of me wonders if some reorganization of the line would be would be good uh, in terms of trying to spread out your talent and get your best five on, on the field. I think everyone can agree that Tech's best five offensive linemen without Silas would be Tenuta, Lasita Smith, Brock Hoffman, Caden Moore, and Johnny Jordan. Um, I would like to see Lasita Smith maybe get some run at right tackle. I don't think he is built for that position uh, physically, but I do think he's a talented enough player and an agile enough player. Remember, the guy played tight end in high school yep. and is, it is pretty athletic. I would be interested to see if he could hold his own over there, and then you maybe move Brock Hoffman to left guard and you have Johnny Jordan play center. I don't know how that would look. I'm pretty sure Vance Vice has tried it in practice because Vice is known for throwing his guys into weird positions in practice just to see how they handle it. But I don't know, just kind of a, an off-the-cuff thought here about whether or not Lasita Smith would be a, at least a replacement-level right tackle. Obviously, he would be a better left guard. There's no question about that. But at a certain point, you've got to have someone at right tackle who can keep Braxton Burmeister upright. Yeah, it was an issue Saturday. They got to figure it out. Maybe Richmond it was a so we big, could try it. big issue. Yep. A lot of things got to get figured out between now and Notre Dame because despite Notre Dame's uh, flaws so far, and obviously uh, they got to do some soul searching as well down there in South Bend. And they don't have the luxury of Richmond to do it against. They got to do it against Cincinnati and Wisconsin. It's still a Brian Kelly coach team. They call him the Rick Stock still of Indiana. He's going to bring those guys into Blacksburg ready to play. And Virginia Tech better be there to match up. But, hey, any final thoughts before we check out, boys? I do want to note um, that the sky is not falling yet for the season. Um, no. 
and look, I've been someone who will certainly sound the alarm if I feel like it's necessary, right? I think you guys you would agree with that. No way. But with that being said, and we'll, again, we'll touch on this in the next pod later in the week, but the ACC is not a very good conference from top to bottom. Everyone is vulnerable at this point. We saw Clemson almost lose to Georgia Tech, which would have been pretty hilarious as far as I'm concerned. Um, but given the, the teams remaining on Virginia Tech's schedule, Virginia is beatable. Georgia Tech is beatable. Duke is obviously beatable. Miami is not playing good football right now. They're one and two and have looked bad in all three games that they've played. Pitt just lost to Western Michigan. Boston College is missing their, their starting quarterback. I mean, the, the, the schedule is so wide open, it's not even funny. And I know Virginia Tech is an eminently flawed team, and they've got to figure some things out. But they don't have to play perfect football to win these games. They just have to play good football. And it's possible. I'm not going to sit here and say it's likely and that Virginia Tech all of a sudden becomes, you know, a 9-10 win team because they're playing a cupcake schedule, at least relative to the Power Five. But I do think Tech has enough talent, barring, you know, other serious and severe injuries, where Tech will at least be in the coastal hunt for most of the season, if not the entire season. Um, So I know fans are upset with the West Virginia loss. I get it. I don't blame you one bit. Anytime you lose to a rival like that, especially in that fashion where you should have won the game, it's a missed opportunity. But with that being said, there are plenty of opportunities on the schedule for wins. And there is not one team in the coastal right now that looks to be the leader in the clubhouse. The one team that's playing the best football right now is North Carolina and Virginia tech has already beaten them once. Not saying that they would beat them again right now, but Virginia tech owns a tiebreaker and doesn't have to play them again. Rate, review, yeah. subscribe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Uh, yeah, it's uh, – Coastal's wide open. I care uh, – and, uh, Ricky, I know this is not what you meant, but I, I need to just address this for, for people to understand. I care less about the Coastal being bad, and I care more about Virginia Tech playing good football. I know that's what you meant, and and the schedule sets up because – Well, I mean, obviously ACC I care about that, but too. – even if Virginia Tech doesn't play great football, they, they can, can still, still win. win a lot of these games. And then we have to make a determination at the end of the season yes. how successful and was we this. Can, and I, I don't want to cross that bridge right, right now. I want, to, Fair I want to talk about that in January. Yep. I don't yeah, want to fa- do that right now. Fair <laughs> enough. We're in, se- we're in September still, so I, I'm there. I'm there. It, I, it, I mean, it's obviously interesting, right? Because you are one play that could have happened on any of four plays – within five yards away from Virginia tech being three and oh, probably four and oh going into the Notre Dame game. And I think for some fans and at least for everyone that follows the program, this game was an opportunity to take that 10,000 foot view and look and say, all right, this is a team that's capable of winning football games for sure. But it's a team that's flawed in many, many facets of the game of football. (laughs) It's just the reality of the situation. And to think that given what we know about this team and they were still that close to being three and that's gotta be a positive, especially as Ricky mentioned with the way the season sets up, but it's a little water uh, on the fire. That was 
the number 15 now unranked Virginia Tech Hokies. And I hate silver linings and, and losses to a rival on the road for as poorly as Virginia Tech played. But I do want to say that it is encouraging that the team didn't roll over and quit on Saturday because yeah. we've seen other Justin Fuente coach teams over the last five plus years roll over and quit when the going got tough. And this team didn't. And I think that that has potential for the rest of the season to be, you know, something to be happy with that they didn't do it in this game and how this team is built may be a little bit different in that regard, maybe a bit more mentally tough than other teams that we've seen coached by Justin Fuente. So that was one small beacon of light in a very poor performance. I thought. All right. And that's a good note to leave it on shout outs from me. Shout out to Tina and Frank Merritt dealt with me for the entire West Virginia game. I wasn't a very pleasant person to be around for the vast majority of it. Shout out to my buddy, Will Spotswood got lunch with me at Jack Brown's in Roanoke today. Really great burger joint. They got one in Roanoke. They got one in Richmond. If you haven't been, you should go. This is not a paid sponsorship. We do have a paid sponsorship though. And it's main street pharmacy. I'd recommend them anyway. Main street pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. Be a neighbor, not a number, my friends. We'll be back later in the week. Preview in Richmond. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for hanging out. And as always, go Hokies.